Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. We are so glad that you're here today. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and today's message is from our series in Acts titled Continuation. Today, Don Bauman will be teaching from Acts chapter 27, and in this episode, we're going to be taking a look at Paul's example of trusting God through the unexpected obstacles that Paul faced while serving in ministry. Now, as we listen, I want to encourage you to consider what does trusting God look like when you face obstacles that make sharing the gospel with others more challenging, or when you simply face challenges in life? Scripture has some amazing answers for us, so with that, let's open up our Bibles and let's get started. This week, as we take a look at Acts 27, a subtext is that is God's heart for the whole world. Because, you know, here Paul, uh, you know, we read about this disastrous uh, journey where he ends up eventually in Rome, and that's where he, that's where he dies. That's where he's executed. Um, but he also shares the good news of Jesus Christ all along the way. And Rome was the center of the, the Western world at that point. And from there, the good news of Jesus spread throughout the world. And uh, that is kind of the, the, what is going on behind the scenes here is that God is setting the stage for the good news to spread throughout the whole world. And he has a heart for the whole world. And, and this week, certainly with uh, the Olympics and the headlines, you know, other uh, countries are on our heart. And uh, there are believers in China that are not in the headlines that are having a tough time. And we, uh, uh, you know, we're going to start this journey with uh, Luke and Paul in Lebanon. And Lebanon, they had this financial meltdown. And, and uh, you know, think of the believers in Ukraine that are facing imminent invasion. And so uh, we want to, let's just take some time to pray for them. And then just ask the Lord to bring believers around the world who are having a tough time. And that's just their daily life. That's what they wake up to every day. Um, this is about, you know, God is with us through some really tough times. So uh, let's pray for believers who are already there. Lord Jesus, uh, we are just so thankful for your heart of compassion and mercy that extends to us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. And so, Lord, we want to pray for our family in Christ, our brothers and sisters who love you, who are serving you, who want to see others come to know you, but they are in trouble. Uh, we pray for believers in places like China and Afghanistan and across the, the Middle East and Central Asia who are in danger of their lives uh, every single day. We pray for believers in East Africa, particularly Ethiopia, who don't have enough to eat today. We, uh, we pray for believers in Ukraine who are staring down the possibility of invasion. And for each of them, we just ask that in your own unique way, you would encourage them uh, and, and let them know they are loved and prayed for. And um, bring them to mind throughout the week. Thank you so much for this passage. Might we be encouraged by it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, this is 
vacation season for some people, right? Uh, you know, where they're advertising vacations, particularly in warmer places as winter drags on. And uh, if you've lived long enough, you know that trips seldom go as advertised. <laughs> And uh, in fact, you may have some in your family lore, right, that uh, you, you talk about. And, and um, when this chapter is dealing with travel by sea, and I immediately thought of uh, Josh's parents, uh, Wayne and Leah, how right at the beginning of the pandemic, almost two years ago, remember that cruise ship that was not permitted to dock in San Francisco for weeks? Uh, yeah, they were on that one. Um, <laughs> It's like a month of their life was <laughs> wiped out. Um, in our family, we used to have half of a uh, orange nylon stuff sack. It looked as if it was cut with a knife. And that was a souvenir of our ill-fated Tuolumne Meadows to Yosemite Valley backpack trip. And I don't have time to tell you all the, you know, there are some trips that they, they start out with great promise and then they, and they almost immediately go sideways. And then you go, could it get any worse? And the answer is yes. Uh, and, <laughs> and that's what happened. You know, we got a late start. I'll just mention the details and you can, you can fill in uh, in between the highlights, you know, the late start, the three visits by bears during the night, the uh, ruined food, the mosquitoes the next day. It just kept going on and on and on. But we did have fun. We really did. Uh, <laughs> Today, Luke is going to relate a, a journey that he went on with Aristarchus and the Apostle Paul, uh, pretty much like that, that went almost immediately sideways. Great plans. And you know, very few of us have been shipwrecked, but we've all experienced that same thing, where we have plans, we've got it all organized, we know where we're going, and whoa, what is happening? And I can't turn back. And I didn't want to go here. And God doesn't leave us, even though our circumstances turn sideways. And, and you kind of think, well, why did Luke write about this one trip in such great detail? I'm sure he'd say, well, if you lived through it, you would too. But, um, you know, there's so many reasons. God is present in the moment. There's a lot of talk today about being in the moment. Well, God is in the moment, no matter what that moment looks like. God is our ever-present and only help in times of trouble. And many times he doesn't prevent trouble from happening, but he's there with us through it. The notion that we as followers of Jesus are supposed to lead healthy, wealthy, and trouble-free lives is utter nonsense. And that's what this passage shows us, uh, is that no matter what our circumstances are, God can accomplish his purpose, even though it looks like a disaster. And he's constantly at work in the lives of people who are along with us so that they will trust Jesus as well. So let's see how this journey begins, kind of full of promise and nice weather and yeah. 
Um, Acts 27, uh, beginning in verse 1. When it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. So when we had boarded a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. When we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the north coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days, we came with difficulty as far as Snidus. Since the wind didn't allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete off Salmone. With yet more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, aside from having all those names that are difficult to pronounce, this is showing us this really happened. And this is history, and these are real locations. And we've got some pictures to, uh, to show you that is the case. Uh, in verse 1, Paul, remember, in, uh, in his uh, uh, trial before Festus, uh, he is sent on to Rome to appear before the Caesar, who happens to be Nero. Um, and so he is to sail to Italy. And notice it says, we. This is written by Luke. So Luke is joining up with Paul again after his confinement, his imprisonment in Caesarea for uh, at least two years. And Luke is one of those friends that, oh, you are blessed to have one like that. He stuck with Paul throughout. He, he not only made it through this voyage with him, but he stayed with him throughout his entire time in prison in Rome. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul writes, only Luke is with me. He's such a great example of a friend who sticks with you even in hard times. Now, they, uh, they left along with uh, a man named Aristarchus. He's uh, uh, another faithful fellow missionary. He's from Macedonia. He has been through it all with Paul. He was dragged to the center of town in Ephesus. He accompanied him to Jerusalem, and here he is now. And he also, in Colossians 4, Paul mentions that he was there with him in Rome while he was in prison. So these guys... When they decided to be Paul's friends, they decided to stick it out no matter what. Uh, they signed up for whatever, whatever God had, and, and uh, they were faithful. Now, the plan, here's this wonderful plan. As they leave the Israeli coast of Caesarea and they sail north to Sidon, their plan was to go along the coast of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and they were going to hop from port to port. And uh, the prevailing winds in the summer are from the west, and so uh, they would kind of scoot inland and, and make their way uh, west until they at least got to Greece. There's a major highway uh, that the uh, centurion figured that they would, they would get to Rome at least that way. 
So they stop over in Sidon, which is in modern-day Lebanon. And this picture, by the way, Courtney took uh, when she taught school in Tyre as a, as a missionary. And um, here's this group of believers there. Notice, the church is already growing. It wasn't written about anywhere, but here they are already. And uh, Paul was allowed to go to them, and they took care of him. You know, he didn't have to wear an ankle bracelet or anything. And uh, uh, then, then Luke writes about the journey as it continues. And Luke is an amazing guy. He not only was a physician by training, but you could tell he is a lifelong learner and a first century scientist because he just delves into the details of things like oceanography and meteorology and, and navigation, and they all factor into his description. Now, the first change is they sail along the north coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us, and uh, that's an indication of things to come. And he sails, they sail past where Paul used to live in Tarsus and Cilicia, and they stop in the port of Myra where the next change of plans takes place, where uh, Paul and Luke and Aristarchus and the other prisoners are transferred onto a grain ship, an Alexandrian grain ship that was heading to Rome. Now, there was a huge grain trade uh, between Rome and Egypt at this time. This was a time called the time of bread and circuses in Rome. Uh, the, um, the emperors had a sweet deal. They uh, would give, well, they would import grain from Egypt, and uh, they, they would they had a deal where Roman citizens would get free grain, and in exchange, um, they got to put up with their benevolent dictator. You know, there's always a catch, right? And uh, a grain ship looked more like a barge than a battleship. It was about 140 feet long and 36 feet wide. And um, with the wind in their sails, a, a grain ship leaving Rome for, could arrive in Alexandria in 10 days in the summer. Loaded with grain and against the wind, it would take them a whole lot longer, probably three to six weeks. And they, they're running into trouble. In verses 7 and 8, they sail slowly for many days and they make very little progress. They just barely make it to the Aegean Sea and so they decided, no, we're going to go south and sail along the lee side of the island of Crete and they make it to the port of Fair Havens. And they talk about the situation in which they find themselves already in verse 9. By now much time had passed and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the fast was already over, Paul gave his advice and told them, Men, I can see that this voyage is headed toward damage and heavy loss, not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete, open to the southwest and northwest, and to winter there. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Now, 
The, uh, the fast that Paul is talking about is the, the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur. It always happens in late September, early October. If this took place in AD 59, that would have been on October 5th. And they were already into the dangerous time to sail. October was iffy. November, all the way through the winter, was absolutely out of the question. During the summer, uh, a high pressure, kind of like what we have here, even during the winter, uh, high pressure would settle over the Mediterranean and they'd have great weather, but that would break down and then storms would roll in off the Atlantic and the most dangerous stretch was between Crete and Italy, right where they were headed. Now, Paul was already an experienced maritime traveler. In 2 Corinthians 11, he wrote about how he has been shipwrecked three times already. And one time, he was adrift uh, a day and a night in the open ocean. And because of his experience, and obviously he's a leader, even though he's a prisoner, the centurion, who likes this guy? He consults Paul and asks his opinion. Paul advises against this trip. Now, this isn't a prophecy yet because there, no one lost their lives. Uh, God would give Paul a prophetic insight later on. Uh, the centurion wasn't the captain, but he pulled a lot of weight because grain shipments were a government operation. And uh, so... They listened to, uh, they, he listened to the captain and, and said, let's keep going. Um, the crew didn't need God's help just yet. The storm was going to um, bring that about pretty soon. Now, they were in Fair Havens in this area uh, on the island of Crete where the harbor was a little too open. And so they decided to sail further west to this place called Phoenix where it had a nice protected harbor. You can see it in this picture. And they were going to spend the winter there. And nice gentle breezes from the south. This looked good. They just took off. Nice, beautiful weather. And then... Everything changes, kind of like life, right? Uh, we, we can have our plans all organized. We know where we're going. We know how we're going to get there. And then life happens. Yeah. Verse 14. But not long afterward, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and was unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Kata, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and that girded it to the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor, and in this way, they were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison cargo the next day. On the third day, they, drew, they threw the ship's gear overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither the sun nor the stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope that we would be saved was disappearing. 
Now, out of nowhere, this wind called the Northeaster, or in your uh, translation, it might be called the Eurocliden, uh, came. Uh, today, it still exists today, and uh, navigators call it the Gregale. In a uh, modern yachting magazine, uh, one article talked about the, and warned about this wind in this way. The Gregale is the wind to particularly watch out for, as this can be a strong northeasterly wind reaching gale force. High pressure to the north and low to the south will generate a tight pressure gradient, bringing strong to gale force winds along with low clouds and rain. And boom, they were in it. And they, they couldn't sail into the wind, so they were just literally carried along. And they, they couldn't resist. They couldn't turn back either, you know? And, and again, how many times do we find ourselves in this position? I really don't want to go where I'm going, but I can't turn back either. And um, then they, they were drifting south so quickly. They, they went past this little island off of Crete called Kauda. Uh, today, it's uh, called Gavdos. And that gave them enough time to haul their lifeboat on, on board because it was uh, being towed behind and they tied it off because they were pretty sure they were going to need it. And then they ran ropes underneath the ship so that the, the, the wooden planks of the sides of the ship wouldn't be torn apart in this severe storm. Then they started throwing their own gear overboard and they were really, really concerned because if they kept drifting south and west, they were afraid they were going to drift right into the what's called the Sirtis. Today, it's called the Gulf of Sidra which is this large area off the coast of Libya. And uh, the, a Greek philosopher that lived at the same time, his name was Dio Chrysostom, and he wrote about the dangers of, that the Sirtis posed for navigators. The Sirtis is an arm of the Mediterranean extending far inland. A three days voyage, they say, for a boat unhindered in its course. But for those who have once sailed into it, finding egress is nearly impossible. For shoals, cross currents, and long sandbars extending a great distance out make the sea utterly impassable or troublesome. So, so this area is very, very shallow and they could fall apart and be shipwrecked miles from shore, so they didn't want to go there. Um, so they threw out a drift anchor. Today, it's a funnel-looking cloth object, and it's meant to create drag, to slow you down, so you're not going to go so quickly uh, in the wrong direction. Uh, back then, they were made of canvas and spars, and, and they did the same thing. Uh, and they're throwing gear overboard, and this is stretching into, into days and days, and they, it says neither the sun nor the stars appeared. They had no way to navigate. They had no compass, no GPS. They, they, were, they were drifting into an unknown destination. And um, many times we might feel that way, where we're heading, our life is heading in a direction we didn't want to go. And it could be in so, so many reasons, maybe some uh, financial or business issue or unemployment or illness or, um, 
you know, some injury that we have to recover from or the journey of grief that nobody wants to go on. And uh, we wonder, where is God? I don't know where I'm going. And it's time to remember that God never leaves us. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found, always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Selah, stop and think about that. Stop and think about who God is. If you're heading in a direction you don't want to go, if things are happening that are out of your control, God is our refuge and strength, and many times our only help. And here's what happens next. In verse 21, since many were going without food, Paul stood up among them and said, you men should have followed my advice not to sail. Really, Paul? I told you so. You men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For this night, an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And look, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, take courage, men, because I believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, the crew and the passengers are not fasting and seeking God. They can't eat because they're seasick, right? And they're, they're terrified. They've lost their cookies so long ago, they don't even remember what cookies taste like, right? And uh, Paul, even though he said, I told you so, that's not an example, right? Uh, but, but his purpose was not to ridicule, but to encourage. And, and now he shares a prophetic message that an angel gave him that very very night. And it was meant to encourage everyone. And the prophecy is that the ship will be lost, but all lives will be saved. Now, the question that we ask is, uh, can God give prophetic messages today? Well, we get in trouble when we tell God what he can and can't do, right? Of course he can. But prophecies from God follow specific criteria. One is that they point people to faith in him. Two is that they are specific, they're verifiable, and they are 100% accurate. They're not what I would call fortune cookie prophecies that are so vague and so general that they can apply to any situation. And frankly, any prophecy, any prophecy that isn't 100% accurate is not from God, period. And so this one is, in fact, Paul says, an angel uh, stood by him. He said, an angel of the God I belong to and serve. Isn't, isn't that a wonderful reminder? That, that's, that's something that we might put on our refrigerator, just some place where we could, or our computer or phone, something that we look at all the time. Uh, I belong to God and I serve him. It's such a comfort when we think that our life is out of control and I'm all alone and there's no help. 
I belong to God and I serve him. And he hasn't forgotten me either, right? And, and even the Apostle Paul needed encouragement. The angel said to him, don't be afraid. We don't have to be supermen and superwomen, right? It's okay if we're afraid and we need to be encouraged. We ought to let God encourage us. Let him encourage us through his word, through his spirit, through our family in Christ, through what he's doing in our lives. And uh, God's purpose for Paul is not going to be thwarted by this storm, nor of the dumb decision to sail into it. You must stand before Caesar, the angel said. And uh, God, when we go through a trial, God's plan for our life hasn't been derailed. In fact, in the most, this is one of the things that I think shows God's power the most strongly, is that he works in the middle of trials, in the middle of disastrous situations to bring about his good in our lives, which is just amazing. And uh, God is so gracious. So gracious to us. And, and the angel says, and look, look, Paul, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. I think if we just stop and look, we will see God's grace in our lives everywhere. Um, we, we just have been going through kind of a tough time recently with uh, my brother-in-law was quite ill and he, and he passed on Monday, but God's grace was present in the last few days of his life. Um, even in the last day, he was able to talk with all four of his grandkids and two of them flew in, one from back east, and they arrived two hours before he passed. So that was just God's grace and kindness. And, and it's there. It's there in your life. We may have to look for it, but it's way better than, you know, biting our nails or being worried. Okay? And there is nothing in this, this circumstance. Uh, these 276 passengers had nothing to be encouraged about. But, but Paul says, be encouraged. And this is the reason why. I believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. See, he, that's the reason for his joy. Even, you know, he's hollering this message over this gale and the boat is going up and down and, oh my gosh. But he's saying, I believe God. And his faith became an example to everybody on board. And there's another statement that we might put on our refrigerator or our phone. I believe, God, that it will be just the way it was told to me. We can apply that to all those great and precious promises. Not that we're going to have a healthy and wealthy and trouble-free life, but God is with us in the middle of whatever we are going through. But first, a little more bad news, Paul says, right? Uh, but first, we must run aground on a certain island. You know, our path is going to be rough. It has been rough. It's going to get worse. But God's not going to leave. He's, his promises will be fulfilled. Our path often includes suffering and trouble. In fact, it will. But God will walk through us, with us through it. He'll accomplish his purposes in it. He will take us through to where his promises are fulfilled. And this is how it happened. 
in verse 27. When the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea, and in the middle of the night, the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took a sounding and found it to be 120 feet deep. When they sailed a little farther and sounded again, they found it to be 90 feet deep. Then, fearing we might run aground in some rocky place, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for this has to do with your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. And after he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he broke it, he began to eat. Then they all became encouraged and took food themselves. In all, there were 276 of us on board the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. When daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach. But they struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained immovable while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape, but the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. So he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to get to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks and some on debris from the ship. In this way, everyone safely reached the shore. Wow. Two weeks of being battered by this storm. They still had no idea where they were going. Um, it was a, they had the promise that Paul had shared, but there was no indication at all of when or how this was going to be accomplished. It was a time to trust God, and maybe that's where you are at. You know God has, has told you I, you are a new person in Christ. Um, you know, you, you have been saved, delivered, redeemed. You've, you've got all these exceedingly great and precious promises, but you sure don't sense his presence. But uh, it's a time to trust him, even when you don't see anything to trust in at that moment. Now, the crew, it says that they sensed that land was ahead. Uh, maybe they heard the crashing of waves. Uh, maybe I've, I've heard you can actually smell land when you've been out at sea for a long time. In any case, they, they sent a rock to the bottom and brought it up 120 feet, and then just a few minutes later, it's 90. And their big fear was that they would run into a reef and just break apart in the dark. So they threw four anchors astern, and they, <laughs> they prayed. Isn't that interesting? You know, now they had interest in God. Uh, amazing what those two weeks in that storm did. And you know what? Sometimes it takes that. 
Sometimes it takes going through that storm for people to, to be open to God. And maybe that's what it took for you. Maybe that's what it's going to take for someone around you. So uh, they're, they're, God is at work. And then there's this group of the crew that decided they'd had enough and it's time to look out for number one. And so they pretended they were going to throw anchors off the bow, but they were really unhooking the lifeboat and they were going to bid them all farewell. Paul got wind of their plan and they realized it was going to take all hands to get all 276 people safely off this craft. And he told the centurion, and now the centurion is listening to Paul. Remember, the same guy who didn't listen to him just two weeks earlier. And now he's listening to Paul. And it's amazing that he didn't just run these crew members through, but uh, Paul had said they're necessary. That's what saved their life, no doubt, because they were trying to bail. And uh, just before daylight, Paul says, listen, everybody, you need to eat. You haven't eaten for two weeks. You need to eat because you need some strength for what you're going to face here. For this has to do with your survival, since none of you will lose a hair on your head. And God provides us with what we need when we need it. And, and sometimes, and he even says, be encouraged again. Same word he used in verses 22 and 25. He says, be encouraged. Eat some food. And, you know, this is a, a big thank you to all you good cooks out there. Because a, a good meal can really encourage us. And that's what happened here. It probably wasn't the greatest meal, but they ate it and and they received strength. And then they started throwing the grain into the ocean so that the ship would ride higher in the waves and might make it through shallow water to the beach. And at daylight, they saw a bay and a beach. And so they unhooked the anchors and they set the sail and they let loose the rudders and away they go. But of course, why would a plan work now on this trip, right? And so they hit a sandbar and the bow was stuck so tightly that it wouldn't move and the, the waves were crashing over the stern and the ship was breaking up. And now it's the Roman soldiers' turn to look out for themselves because the standing orders for every Roman soldier was you guard that prisoner or you are punished with his punishment. Now, all of these prisoners, except Paul, all of them were likely condemned criminals who were on their way to the Colosseum to become fodder and entertainment. And so these soldiers knew, these guys escape, I die. And so they're going to kill them. But the centurion, see, God gave... Paul favor in the eyes of the centurion, the centurion ended up saving his life. And he said, nope, let them, uh, you guys that can swim, go and swim. If not, use a piece of wood as your personal flotation device. And that's how God's promise was fulfilled. Now, all of us, at some point in our life, and maybe that's now, all of us go through an unwelcome journey. Now, unwelcome journeys can uh, range from irritating, like being stuck in traffic, to traumatic, like being the victim of crime or um, 
abuse or, uh, you know, experiencing grief or illness or injury. And the unwelcome journey can even get progressively worse. And that's happening to Paul, right? He, he was proven innocent four times. And guess what? You get to stay in jail, and uh, now you get to appear before the emperor who is going to execute you. But during that whole time, he is going to write a, a good chunk of the New Testament, and the good news of Jesus is going to go out. And uh, so God used this injustice, this terrible time, for good, for our good as well. And, you know, sometimes our faith boils down to something as simple as the way Paul expressed it here. I believe God. Paul had great insight into the Old Testament, but he didn't say, I have this great theology, and that's where I get great comfort. No, it's I believe in God, the God that I know and I serve. And he's my help in trouble. He is going to get me through today and every day for the rest of my life. And that phrase, I believe God, that it will be just the way it was told to me. We can apply that to all those promises God has made for us uh, and, and for our life. Now that we're a new person in Christ, he'll never leave us or abandon us, and he will deliver us into his presence. So let's be encouraged ourselves and encourage others because we believe God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we believe you. We know your word is true. We know you are true. We are just so thankful for your constant presence. Uh, we are thankful for your work in the midst of difficult circumstances. We're thankful for the encouragement that we can receive from Paul and Luke and Aristarchus's example when we face difficult circumstances. So help us to be encouraged and help us to encourage others who are going through tough times right now. And we are dismissed in the mighty name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We really hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. We also hope that you're able to join us again next week as we continue studying the powerful truths that God has revealed to us in the book of Acts. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we are so glad that you are a part of the family.